It's like a handoff right there with the table. Good job, you guys. Appreciate that. Thanks for a great uh, time worshiping the Lord through the music. It was awesome. Appreciate it. What a great team we have. You know, it doesn't matter what happens, who shows up on a Sunday morning. We have a group of people who are committed to serving in our church and being a part of that. And I know summer times can be kind of hard because people are out and about vacationing and all, but um, those people who are serving still get in here and work hard and and do uh, what they do. And again, trying something out a little different here with the children's ministry. We're having them in during the the music portion of the service and then releasing them kind of like, if you remember the old junior church thing that we used to do when we were little kids. Um, So we'll get that all ironed out and the kids will get used to doing that. And, you know, maybe we just have a big horn, you know, that we blow and wake everybody up type of thing. So uh, I told you, I I said I was going to share this picture. For some of you, you're probably thinking, oh, Harold, please don't put that picture up. Uh, Notice how I'm not in the picture because I'm the one taking the picture. Um, But this, this crew right here, did the landscaping outside, all the stone, moving the stone and putting in some uh, border and stuff like that. And so I put up this shared pain. It's a New Testament definition of fellowship. I talked about this last week where fellowship, we think of fellowship at church, we think of having a lunch together, right, and kind of hanging out a little bit, maybe sitting around a fire. But in the New Testament, fellowship meant suffering together. I mean, that's the best way to, to know somebody, right, is to go through a difficult time. And so these people got to know each other, they worked hard, they supported each other, they were sweating. Well, you can see what they were sweating like. So I just want to thank those guys for, um, for doing that. I appreciate you guys helping with that. And uh, just kind of a heads up, I don't mean to scare anybody, anybody off, but men, we're going to get together on the 21st for a little um, energy filling with donuts and coffee, and then spend a couple hours and try to keep moving the stone that we have in the back around the building. And uh, don't tell this crew, but... Um, we're working on getting like a bobcat or a front loader. So, uh, but don't tell them. You know, don't tell them because they might think I was being mean or something. Um, well, we started last week. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles to First Timothy. It's page eleven eighty six. For using the the um, Bible there in the pew, we started a new series last week called Blueprint: God's Design for Our Church. And so we're going to continue that this week and continue on for the next several weeks about how it is God wants us to to develop the church, grow the church, organize the church, church leadership, all that kind of stuff. But we started out last week in chapter 3, because in chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, Paul finally gets to his purpose for writing. And I thought, let's go ahead and start there. And in there, he gives his purpose for writing, but then he also gives us God's description for what he says the church is. And I think it's important for us to know what God thinks we're supposed to be, right? It's better for us to do what he wants us to do than for us to do what we think we should do. And his purpose, first of all, was to explain how we're to conduct ourselves in the household of God. So, in other words, in our day and language, is how we're supposed to be the church, how we're supposed to be the family of God. Household means family, And so we are a family. We talked about that last week. And so how are we as God's family? Those of us who put our faith in Christ, we've become children of God. He's adopted us into his family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so how are we supposed to care for each other and, and work together and be a family together? That God gives us some other descriptions, uh, two main descriptions that kind of play into uh, kind of what our um, purpose is 
in this world. And one, he says, we're a church of the living God. In other words, church means called out one. So those of us who are faith in Christ, we've been called out of the world, how the world thinks, how the world responds, and we've been called out into his family. So we're the church of the living God, and we're the pillar and support of the truth, the truth being the gospel and all the things that are connected with the gospel, all the doctrines connected with it. And as pillars and support, the Ephesian Christians, their minds, when they heard pillar, support, immediately went to um, the goddess Diana. Because in Ephesus, there was a temple there to the goddess Diana, the, the fertility god. And that's who they worshipped. Okay? That's who the, the non-Christians, mainly the Gentiles, worshipped. And so there was 127 massive marble pillars that held up this temple. And those, those uh, pillars were donated, and the money was given by those who worshipped this goddess. And so what Paul was saying is, just like they have these pillars, massive pillars that represent the goddess that they worship, we, Christians, are the pillars in support of the truth, of the gospel. We're the ones who are to walk through life, representing the living God through how we live how we respond in order to bring the gospel, this common confession, the truth, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's a question for you, and I was kind of thinking about this this week. Again, kind of how, you know, how would I have written First Timothy if, <laughs> if I had the responsibility? And so here's a question for you, and you might have an answer. Um, you don't need to say it out loud, just kind of think about it. Why would Paul, if he's talking about how we're supposed to develop the church, why would Paul put that into chapter 3, rather than putting that at the beginning, would that make sense to put it at the beginning and say, okay, this is what we're going to be talking about, and then go into that thing? Instead, he talks about the fact that he had reminded Timothy when he left him in Ephesus to be the pastor of the church there, he reminded him, hey, listen, you need to make sure that you instruct certain men not to teach strong, strange doctrines. That's how, how he phrased it. We'll explain what that is. But why would he tell them, to? the first thing is to tell them to stop teaching these wrong things. So as I was thinking about it and praying about it and kind of, that's called meditating by the way. So as I'm meditating on scripture, I'm thinking about it, I'm praying about it, asking God about it. The thought came to my mind and that's this, that the gospel is everything. That the gospel is the number one thing that is in the life of the church, in the life of a person. The gospel is everything. And so Paul's going to start there. He's going to start with, hey, we need to protect the gospel. We need to protect the message that Jesus Christ has, that Jesus Christ did for us. Because if you don't have the gospel, which is um, Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. If you don't have the gospel... You don't have salvation. You, you don't have adoption into God's family. Therefore, you don't have a church, because the church is, is people. And then you don't, if you don't have a church, you don't need to worry about how it's structured. So the gospel is everything. We're going to look into 1 Peter chapter 1 here. I'm going to read the whole chapter for us. And um, I'll, I'll try to make it as entertaining and use my dulcet tones <clears throat> to... Uh, I should have a Caleb sing it for us. That would probably catch us, keep us all awake. That'd be kind of 
You could do more of a Gregorian chant, you know. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandments of the kind of heaven, and Christ Jesus, hope. <clears throat> Some of you are thinking, oh my word, I just went back to my other church. Sorry. <laughs> oh boy. All right, so I'll start in verse 1 here, and I won't do that to you again. So here's Paul, starting right into his letter to Timothy. Remember, Timothy is his intern that's turned into now a journeyman. He's a pastor of the church. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, in other words, the one that I've raised up, spiritually speaking, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, They're talking about the, the, the law of Moses, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Have you ever talked to somebody who thinks they know something, and you're listening to them going, you have no clue what you're talking about? That's what's happening here with these teachers in Ephesus. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, in other words, hate their father, fathers and mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel, it's kind of a key phrase here in this passage, the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Not in the law, in Christ Jesus. Not in religious ritual, in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason, for what reason? Because he was a sinner, I found mercy, not because he was obedient to the law, but because he was a sinner, he found mercy as a foremost. Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you, might, you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, yikes, 
so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. As I mentioned, there's a key phrase there in verse 11. This glorious gospel of the blessed God, this glorious gospel, it refers to the incredible splendor, awesomeness, and power of God that's displayed in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And we have a responsibility to protect that message. And so what we want to look at today is, I want to just kind of quickly recap what the the glorious gospel is and why it is so glorious, and then what Paul says about this protecting the gospel. So this idea of glorious, think about this, okay? The God of the universe, the God who spoke and the universe, not just earth, but all of the universe that we see and know about, and even what we don't see and know about yet, spoke that into existence. That's the kind of power he has. And God the Son, who is God, put himself into human flesh. Now, some people think, man, God is so immense, I can't get over that. I've always thought God is so immense. How did he put himself into human flesh? That's crazy, right? But he did that, and then he lived on this earth with all of us stinking, sinful, fickle, selfish people to show us who God is, what God was like. Went around you know, doing incredible miracles and healing people and all kinds of stuff. And then let us put him on a cross to die. What? That's unbelievable, isn't it? That's awesome. That's that's almost mind-blowing. How does God do that? Why would God do that? Well, Paul said it. Because we're sinners. Because we're screwed up. We're messed up. There is no way for us to get ourselves cleaned up enough to be in God's presence. So he had to do the work. And so God comes up with the plan. Jesus Christ, God the Son, comes to earth, dies our eternal death. He, he died the death that we should have had. We should be in hell for an eternity, but Jesus died that death. Then he rose again to defeat that, Then he goes back to heaven. He sends God the Holy Spirit to live in us, to empower us, to strengthen us, to do do in us everything we need him to do in order for us to be the pillars in support of the truth, to be the ones who represent the living God to a world around us. And then when we die, we get to go to heaven. Isn't that a glorious gospel? Gospel means good news. Isn't that incredibly good news? Isn't that awesome (laughs) Good news? That's just, take some time this week and just think about that. Think about what the gospel really is. Too many of us sit in church week in and week out and you hear me say this and it's just kind of, you know, wah, 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 wah. It's the Peanuts teacher talking away and we kind of get inoculated. See, I'm telling you, God is at work here. Turning lights off in order for you... Yeah, see? All right. 
So that's our glorious gospel. And for man, for us or any other man or person, to think that they can add anything to their spiritual birth, their salvation, is not only unnecessary, but really it's arrogant and it's destructive. Let me put it to you this way. How many of you guys were born physically? Okay, some of you got... Some of you are not raising your hand, so I don't know, maybe you were hatched, but whatever the case, you were born, we were born physically, right? How many, of you, how many of you had any part in that? Think back. Okay, think back to when you were born. How many of you had any? Some of you tried to make it more difficult for your mother. You know, you turned in a different direction, and right? And they had to do some, you know, getting you unpretzeled and all that kind of stuff. You, so you, you didn't help. You actually hurt a little bit. You know what I'm saying? No, you're, you're you know, the mom and the dad. I don't have to get into this, right? Your mom and the dad. Good thing the kids are in children's church. The mom and the dad, to get together, they, they do what God calls them to do, and they worship the Lord and conceive a baby. And, and then we were sitting there for nine months, Right? Kind of rolling around as mom is moving around and they're talking to us. And we're like, I have no clue what they're talking about, but they're talking to us. And this is kind of a muffled noise. <laughs> right? Some of you guys, I don't remember that. I don't either. I'm just saying that's what they're doing, right? That's what we did with our kids. And then the time came and all of a sudden, boom, here you are. Now, how did we demonstrate that we were a human child? We cried. Right? We smiled. We made that face, and all of a sudden, and then we smiled. Remember that, right? Our kids, come on. Some of you guys are like, Harold, you shouldn't talk that way. What? Come on. You know, when your child was sitting there making that face, it wasn't that they're, you know, there was something going on, and when it happened, they were happy again, right? And then we, they ate, and they, you know, did whatever they did in their diapers, and But here's the deal. None of that, catch this now if you can, none of that had anything to do with ensuring the birth that we had. You following me? The birth happened outside of who we are. We demonstrated our birth by living life. I'm I'm demonstrating today, to the chagrin of my mom, if she ever listens to this podcast, that I am a human being because I'm doing what human beings do. I walk, I talk. All right. The same is true with our spiritual birth. God conceived the idea, if you want to put it that way. Jesus Christ made it happen, and the Holy Spirit was the one who put, was put into our life to give us spiritual birth. God does all of that, just like our physical birth. How we live our life does not at all ensure that that birth happened. Jesus Christ ensured that that birth happened. You follow me? Okay, some of you guys are still thinking about the whole other thing I was talking about when the kids smiled. And so for us to think that we can do anything for our own physical birth, let alone our spiritual birth, it's pretty arrogant. And it's destructive in the sense that when we start adding things to the gospel, when we think we should put some stuff into whatever it was that Jesus did, it becomes destructive because anything 
that's not faith in Christ and Christ alone causes us to not be truly saved and causes us to live in um, misunderstanding and then we'll find ourselves in hell one day because of our sin. But God has taken care of that. The other thing that makes the, the gospel so glorious is just simply this. Every doctrine in the Bible directly flows out of the gospel. Okay? So if we get the gospel wrong, we'll get our doctrine and theology screwed up. Everything is summed up in Jesus Christ, which includes the gospel. It's, if we become preoccupied with doctrines, get, catch me here, if we get preoccupied with doctrines, or we get preoccupied with something kind of maybe connected to doctrines, not really sure, but it kind of sounds good, and we start focusing in on the doctrines, we'll automatically leave the gospel behind. And you see it over and over and over again by different false teachers today. But if we stay true to the gospel, we stay focused on the gospel, all the doctrines and theology will work itself back out and make sense and be accurate. So the gospel is awesome. The gospel is incredibly good news. And therefore, we need to protect the gospel. And that's why Paul is hitting this point now, right at the beginning. We need to stop false teachers. I'm going to try to move through this quickly, if I can, this morning. He says that Timothy is supposed to instruct. This word is not like we might think. It's not teaching. It's commanding. Okay? So Timothy needs to be serious about the gospel. We all need to be serious about the gospel. Jesus was serious about the gospel. Paul was serious about the gospel. Paul said that my whole life is about the gospel. And so we need to be serious. Timothy needs to be serious. And so he's being commanded by Paul, root out the false teachers in your church. Now, who were these false teachers? There's a bunch of discussion as to who they might be. I think they're primarily Jewish, so um, people who were in Judaism, people who said that you had to follow the law in order to be right with God, the Jewish law. And so, and if you read Acts, you'll see they followed Paul wherever he went. And as soon as Paul was in a church for a while, and then he moved on to another and started another church, these guys would come in, and they would start teaching doctrine contrary to what Paul was teaching. So let me just give you a really quick review of what the, the first century church looked like. It wasn't, doesn't really look like our church today. Nothing wrong with our church, it's just what they did back then. So they would have a bunch of Christians getting together on a Sunday morning, and they would be worshiping God together, right? And if Paul was there, Paul would teach. If Timothy was there, Timothy would teach. If Peter was there, Peter would teach. If nobody was there, if they had scriptures, one of the other guys would get up and read the scriptures, and then they would kind of just discuss about what the scripture is talking about, knowing what Paul has taught, what Timothy has taught, what Peter has taught, or what other letters that they had been given. So like this letter to Timothy was passed around to all the other churches, but if nobody was there, they would start sharing probably about what's going on in their lives and prayer requests and pray for each other and doing the whole you know, church family thing. But then somebody could stand up and say, I have a word from the Lord. And what would happen probably is that these, these Judaizers, as they call them, these Jewish guys who said that the Mosaic law was what people should believe in. I, and again, I'm, I'm a little bit of a speculating here, but I think this is pretty accurate. They would get up and say, hey, you know what Paul was saying about Jesus yeah, you need to have faith in Jesus, 
But did you realize that Jesus was a Jew, and Jesus followed the law perfectly? And so really, Paul's a little bit off on that. Yeah, feel free to have this you know, relationship with Jesus, but you also, like Jesus, need to live the law perfectly. Doesn't that sound pretty good? I mean, wouldn't it? To somebody who didn't know a whole lot about Jesus or you know, hadn't, you know, doesn't have a Bible to take home and study, sounds kind of good. So they were coming in with these Strange doctrines, and strange doesn't mean weird, okay? It's not, it wasn't some teaching that was so out of whack that people go, oh, that's wrong. It was strange, meaning different. It wasn't what Paul was teaching. But when false teaching is given, there's always a little bit of truth. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus did live the law perfectly. He lived a perfect life. So there's some truth to it, but they would take it and then they would add it to what Jesus did on the cross. And so they were teaching strain, teaching something different than what Paul was teaching. They paid attention to it. It means to be preoccupied with it. They they overemphasized this stuff. And so it became what their preoccupation was. It became what they taught. He talks about myths and endless genealogies. And again, there's discussion as to what these are. And I think the fact that they're kind of vague is an is a emphasis for us. It's anything that's strange, anything that doesn't fit with what the gospel and studying scripture properly would, would say. And so myths are you know, legends, they're stories, they're fantasy. It could have been maybe they were, like today, we have people who are focused in on people's spiritual experiences, and that's what they focus in on. That's all they focus in on. This person had this spiritual experience. God spoke to me, and this is what he said, even though we have the Bible. And then they focus in on that. This person had some sort of incredible spiritual thing happen to him, and so they focus on that in spite of what Jesus Christ may have been teaching. It talks about endless genealogies. I think we need to understand this more as um, authority. What's the authority behind what they're teaching? So these guys were saying, hey, listen, I I come from a long line of Pharisees. I have so much training. I know so much about the Old Testament. Or they even were saying that some of this could have been that they were showing their bloodline all the way back to the Old Testament patriarchs, you know, the fathers of Israel. And so they were coming up with this proof of authority, why they should be listened to, which, again, Paul kind of references in verse 12 in those verses. But the main point is this. As Timothy needed to be wary of these people, we need to be wary of people who are preoccupied with teaching that doesn't relate back to the gospel, that isn't motivated by the gospel, maybe is another way to put it. What was the result of their teaching? The result was that they had these mere speculations, and it means having an opinion that causes division and argument. And so what they were doing is they were teaching this stuff, and what would happen in the church is pretty soon, people would get up and start saying, well, that's wrong, no, that's wrong. And then they would say, no, it's not wrong. And they pretty soon start having this argument in the church on a Sunday morning about what was right and what was wrong. And because the people didn't have any authority there, they were kind of just, you know, maybe so, maybe they're right, maybe they're not right. But they didn't know any better. They didn't have the Bible at that point. They were still learning from Paul and Timothy 
why it was so important for Timothy to stay in Ephesus and defend that church. They turned aside to fruitless discussion. It means empty. Not worth anything. Certainly not worth anything spiritual. They wanted to be seen as authorities of the law, verses 8 through 11 say. But they were shown to be people who had no clue what the law was really talking about. What the purpose of the law was. And Paul explains the purpose of the law in Galatians 3. He says this, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. See how that? See that? So Paul takes doctrine, the law of Moses, and he points it to Christ. Everything is about Jesus Christ. Everything is about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And so Paul says, yes, law is good. It's, we're supposed to have it. God wanted us to have it. And the reason why is so we knew what sin was. So we'd realize, I am completely lost because of my sin, and I need help. And God would be, hello, I'm here. And we look at Jesus and say, wow, God put on flesh, died on the cross for my sin, rose from the dead, and is going to put my, his Holy Spirit in me and adopt me into his family. That's awesome. I'll take it. And then we take it by faith and we hang on to that, hang on to Jesus. We don't hang on to all the other religious stuff that we'll do because we're saved. It's like nothing I do as a human being ensured that I was born a human being. So we may be justified by faith, being declared right by God is what justified means. Being declared not guilty comes by faith in Christ. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We're no longer under the law. We're under Christ. So we don't need to do all these things for salvation. We may do some religious things because we're saved, but not for salvation. And then the result, end result is that they fail to further the administration of God. What is that? What's the administration of God? His purposes. What's his purposes? To see all men come to salvation. We're going to talk about that next week out of 1 Timothy 2. God's desire is that all men will come to Christ. That's his purpose. That's his administration. That's why he sent Jesus to die on a cross. And that's why when we come to Christ in faith, that becomes our purpose. Become, becomes our reason for getting up on Monday morning and going to work or school or our neighborhoods. Paul puts it this way, that our, the goal of our resurrection is love. And so he kind of starts at the ending result, but love happens because someone's heart is pure. It means it's guiltless, there's, there's no sin in it. So it's a person who's really working hard at their attitudes and all that kind of stuff and asking God to help them with that and growing in them in that. So it's a pure heart, a good conscience, has the idea of guilt, not having guilt, not having um, regrets in our relationship with God or relationship with others. A sincere faith means genuine, non-hypocritical. So it's not a person who says, yeah, yeah, I believe, in, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. Then we go and make sure we do all these religious things in order to keep ourselves saved. And then the production, what comes out of that is we grow not in our love, but we grow in Christ's love. We become people who willingly sacrifice for the good of others, no matter what it might cost us. We live lives now, whether it's relating to our church family or to those in our lives who need Christ, in such a way that we look out for their best, no matter what it might cost us. Because when Jesus went to the cross, 
He was looking out for our best, which was a relationship with God, and it cost him his life. And if we miss that as Christians, if we think, oh, we're going to church, and we're going to be part of church, and we miss the fact that we are a church, we are the called out ones, that we are the children of God, and our purpose for living is to impact people for Jesus Christ, we're missing it, and we're straying from the gospel. We're moving away from the gospel. We're in danger of following after a false teaching. Not saying doctrine is bad. Doctrine is very good. Not saying theology is bad. Theology is very good. Only, though, if it's under the control, if you want to put it, of the gospel. Okay? Everything happens because of the gospel and our growth in that. So Paul talks about his authority. I'm going to kind of blitz through here. Hang on. Paul talks about his authority in verses 12 through 17. The false teacher's authority came from men, came from something else, came from the genealogies, came from their heritage, came from their denominational affiliation, came from something. Paul's authority, he says, mine came from God. So you might think you have authority. I'm telling you, my authority came from God. Because see... um, I was a Pharisee, and I know what you guys are thinking. I know how you guys are teaching. I get it. I get what you're trying to do. But I also understand, when I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus revealed to me that I was actually working against God by believing in the Jewish religion. I realized I was working against God, not for God. I was fighting against Jesus And Jesus opened my eyes, and I realized I was a violent aggressor. I was a blasphemer. I was speaking against God. I was going to Christians, arresting them, and putting them to death. But here's what Paul does then. He takes that really terrible before Christ testimony, and let me tell you about the glorious gospel that I experienced. Paul says, I'm an example. Example of what? Example of a person who's completely depraved and screwed up by sin to the point that he's killing people. And yet Jesus said, I forgive you. God said, I am declaring you not guilty because you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus' death on that cross covered your sin. And his rising from the dead and the Holy Spirit coming has empowered you now to be entrusted with the same message and get out there now and move the gospel forward in this world. That's, that's a summary of verses 12 through 17. Paul was entrusted. The word entrusted means to give to somebody else something of value. And the idea is that you hang on to it, you protect it, you keep it pure, you keep it valuable, You don't add anything to it. You don't take anything away from it. It is what it is. And you hang on to it and you protect it. Paul was entrusted with the gospel. And in verses 18 through 20, Paul then says, Remember, Timothy, as I was entrusted by God with this gospel, I am now entrusting you to entrust it to faithful men who will entrust it to faithful men who will entrust it to faithful men. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. So in other words, the gospel and all the doctrine that goes with it. Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. God's plan 
is for the gospel to be protected and then to be passed on from faithful men to faithful men to faithful men to faithful men all the way down. And today, Grace Point Church and a bunch of other churches, not all, but a bunch of other churches, are testimony to Timothy's faithfulness. Paul is handing things off, not just, not just in a sense of the ministry. He's handing off the gospel. And that's our responsibility. It's Timothy's responsibility. He's to fight the good fight. It's not easy. There are false teachers in their day always following after Paul. Today, they're on our TV sets, they're on our radios, they're on podcasts, they're in books that we're reading. You guys, I'm telling you, not everybody you hear on TV, okay, is teaching the gospel and the doctrines associated with it. There are a bunch of people that are preoccupied with a bunch of other stuff that has nothing to do with the gospel. Okay? In fact, if you, if you want, just um, follow the money. Okay? You can follow a false teacher by looking at what are they motivated by. What's the end result for them? Check it out. Try it. See what you think. Timothy's supposed to be keeping his faith, faith in Christ, the gospel, good conscience. In other words, trust completely in Christ. Obey him no matter what others may say. And then Paul's strong warning is this. Remember Hymenaeus and Alexander who decided to be preoccupied with other things and they shipwrecked their faith. Because the tendency, as I said before, the tendency is for people when they start becoming preoccupied with something other than the gospel. And I'm telling you, anything. If anything comes more, becomes more important than the gospel, we're going to be walking away from the gospel. We're going to be moving towards false teaching and we're going to shipwreck our faith. The number of people I can tell you who have done that and then over time of continuing to do that, because it's this idea of being preoccupied, next thing you know what, they're living lives that are like, I have, where did you come from? I've known you all my life. What is going on with you? I got a guy uh, that I knew growing up. He was older than me. He was kind of a spiritual mentor to me. And he taught me stuff about God's Word, about creation. Um, you know, stuff I had just, man, it was awesome. I just grew so much spiritually. I grow up. I get married. I have kids. I go over to their house. And he's like, hey, I need to, I need to get your opinion on something. All right. Because I'm thinking, oh, man, he wants my opinion. You know, I'm the pastor here now, so... Bring it on. And he starts asking me about if you can lose your salvation. What do I think about that? I said, well, you know, you know what I think about that. You're the one who taught me a lot of that. You know what I'm... Yeah, yeah, but tell me where I'm wrong with that. I'm the, well, I said, wait a second. So you're believing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this guy. And man, he just really brings it. He just really... I mean, when you listen to him, you just... Wow, he knows his stuff. He really brings it on his messages. And it, yeah, and he, this guy has now gone off down this road, and they're actually talking about, you know, they're trying to get all their family onto, in a compound, buying a bunch of land, pulling away from the world, doing their own thing as a family, because they want to make sure they hang out to their salvation. What about the glorious gospel? You know, that was, that's my question to him. Paul says that he's handed these guys over 
to Satan. He, he describes Hymenaeus' teaching in 2 Timothy 2.17 as gangrene. It's destroying the church, slowly eating it away. He hands them over to Satan. That's a really aggressive way of saying church discipline. He's saying we're removing fellowship from them as a, as a church so that we hope and pray that that removal of fellowship causes them to kind of wake up, a kind of a slap across the face and say, repent, get back to Christ, get back to the gospel. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 18, about the whole church discipline thing, and that's kind of what he's, he's just making a point. He's slapping Timothy in the face saying, listen, be serious about this, protect the gospel. So let's bring this home. In Paul's day, like I said, false teachers came into the church. Today, we invite them into our homes. We turn on a TV, we turn on the radio, we turn on a podcast, we buy a book, and we invite them in. And we give them authority based a lot of times on how they look or how they sound, how authoritative they are. That's one of the things that just, you know, I, I talk to some people and they're like, well, man, I mean, they just really bring it. I'm thinking, yeah, but they're bringing wrong teaching, you know. You know, I kind of bring it too, <laughs> right? You know. or, they, or they say, hey, I'm, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing from Jesus, and I'm writing this down, or I'm hearing from Jesus, and I'm telling you, I had an anointing of the Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit too, and he gave me his word. That's not good anymore. Am I going to get... Yeah, people who are focused on certain things that you might connect well with. It could simply be their music. You love their music. And so then you listen to their teaching because you love their music. Or they're extremely supportive of Israel. And so, man, I'm going to want to be supportive of Israel. Jesus, God said that if you do that, you'll bless. So they must be blessing them. Man, they got a lot of people going to their church. That guy must really know what he's talking about. We invite them into our homes. We give them authority. And where the first century church didn't have the Bible, it remember what was Paul taught or Timothy taught? We have the Bible today and the Holy Spirit. Do you recognize wrong teaching? Do you recognize when somebody is inaccurate? So what are we doing here at Grace Point to protect the gospel? And I, one of my favorite sayings, I can lead you to water, but I can't make you drink, right? So we've got the men's leadership group going, all right? So once a month we get together, there's 13 of us, over, either on a Sunday morning or sometime during the week, when guys can't make it on Sundays. And I'm doing this, a one-time offer. And send me a seed money. I'm sorry. Um, one-time offer. If you're sitting here, you're not part of the men's leadership group, here's what we're doing. We're going through doctrinal theology. And you ask any of the guys who are going, if you're in a men's leadership group, raise your hand. Yeah, look at these guys. Awesome. Love it. How many of you guys say, man, the heroes is way too hard? Okay, one guy is raising his hand. All right, well, at least you're honest. You know, that's good. We're going, it's really, sorry, it's really kind of simple. It, you take what is justification, and you read through this book, and it tells you what justification, here's Bible verses that apply to that, and you write that down, and then when we get together, we just talk about it. If there's questions, we answer the questions, and if not, we move on to the next. You guys are going, man, I never knew that stuff before. Exactly. You have to know this stuff. 
you got to know what justification is. you got to know that God declares you not guilty. Because if you think that he didn't declare you not guilty for every sin you've ever committed or will commit in the future, you've got some serious doctrinal issues ahead of you. What happens if you die without unconfessed sin? Do you lose your salvation? You know? So if you want to be a part of that, let me know. All right? And we'll put you in one of the groups. Not a hard thing. Women's, women's Bible study, they're doing the same thing. 15 to 20 ladies once a month on a Saturday. They meet longer than the guys do. Um, and they probably have better food and all that kind of stuff too, but whatever. Um, I'm not jealous, just saying. Um, get involved in that, ladies. The third Saturday of the month, typically, right? Fourth Saturday. We meet Sundays. Fourth Saturday, there's a list of when they're doing it and all kind of stuff. Be a part of that. Same thing. They're doing the exact same thing, just a little differently than what guys are doing. Thursday night Bible study. Thursday night Bible study is all basic stuff. How's the Bible put together? What's the Old Testament about? What's the New Testament's about? When we study a book of the Bible, we actually implement, at least they're supposed to, during the week. They're supposed to implement Bible study tools that I give them as to, hey, here's how some good ways that you can study the Bible, you know, doing studies of words and um, breaking down the passage. And then we get together on Thursday nights when we're doing a Bible study, which we're doing First Timothy right now, um, and we just talk about it and kind of work through it and see what people are learning and, and all kinds of stuff. It's fun. Young adults and, and then our students, our high school. So our young adults, they're meeting on Fridays. Every Friday we do a question and answer uh, one Friday. Or actually we do a game night one Friday. We do a question and answer the second Friday. We do Bible studies the next two Fridays. And so if you know young adults, 18 to 30 years old, tell them to come out and have a good time. There's 15 or so of us to get together. Um, of us young adults that get together. Um, and then we're, uh, Fremont campus is bringing on a couple uh, pastoral residents, as they call them, and they're going to be coming up starting probably in September um, and helping us work both with the young adults and our middle school, high school students. So um, we're moving that area. We want people to know God's word. I want you guys reading the Bible, knowing the Bible. So that you can be ready on Monday morning when you go to work or, or school or with your neighbors or wherever it is so that you can represent the living God, that you can be a pillar and support of the truth of the gospel. And so that we can see people come to Christ and we can fulfill the administration or the purposes of God. See people come to Christ, help them grow in their faith because as they do, that's when we're going to grow in our faith. And until we do, we're not going to have a healthy growth in our own spiritual life if we're not caring about the lost the way Jesus Christ cared about, cared about the lost. Let's stand. We're closing prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. I thank you for um, Paul's letter to Timothy and how you encouraged him and, and led him and moved him along to write this letter. And then it was passed around to all the churches and it came down to us today. Father, I pray that we would be all about the gospel, that we would be studying your word, knowing your word, that we would see how it all works together and plays together, and, and then that we would represent you well, that we would be really good-looking pillars and supports of the living God as we leave this church building and we go out and we become the church to the world around us. Lord, bless each one that's here this morning. Keep each one safe this week. Those that are gone this week, I pray that you would 
Keep them safe and get them back into town and have them back here worshiping with us together on a Sunday morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Run quickly to your cars and get your air conditioning on. <laughs>